So we get to event number three. Now today is going to be a little bit different because I have about four questions I want us to discuss somewhat. And because of that, I don't, we don't have the time to read all the scriptures like we did last week. So, but that's okay. Um, most of us are familiar with, with these events anyway, so we don't necessarily have to read them. So today we venture off into event number 23, which is Jesus' cleansing of the temple. And we see this uh, text here at John chapter 2, verses 13 through 25, but we also see this, ooh, how did that happen? Okay, what's that? I get, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, so, uh, so we're looking at John chapter 2, verses 13 through 25, so, the first glimpse we have of Jesus when, is when he was a young boy. He had gone to the temple. His parents had gone in another direction. And they found him there in the temple. And he said to his mom, I must be about my father's business. Or in other words, I'm in my father's house doing the business necessary. But as a boy, we find when we look at Luke chapter 2, verse 52, that he went back home. And he was in subjection to them, not just to his parents, but to the elders and to the leaders as well. And if this wasn't so, we wouldn't have what we read in Luke chapter 2 at verse 52. But as a man, as a man, he still has a zeal for his father's house. But now when we look at this, he expresses this in a much more dynamic way. And this is the start, again, of his public ministry. Now, there's a debate, and personally, I don't see why it's a debate at all, because it's not salvational, um, but there's a debate of whether or not there were two cleansings of the temple versus one cleansing, okay? So John, John puts the incident at the beginning of Christ Jesus' ministry, whereas Matthew, Mark, and Luke puts it uh, when Jesus enters Jerusalem triumphantly and they show him going directly to the temple and cleansing it. There are good arguments on both sides. There are good arguments on both sides. But the creator of this lesson, the creator of this lesson view is that if John put it at the beginning and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke put it at the end, then there are two similar events. He goes on to say that this would be like the incident where we find twice where Christ Jesus turned, uh, fed the 5,000 off of uh, the fish and the bread. And he goes on to say that there was more than one miracle, which is true. There was more than one sermon, which is true. There could easily be more than one cleansing. What James says is this right here. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Because whether or not there was one cleansing or two, that has nothing to do with whether or not we live our lives according to God's word and whether or not we go to heaven and we end up in hell. It really doesn't matter. So, so to me, there's not a reason for a debate on this. But the question that I have, here's my question. So, just a rhetorical, then a discussion. Rhetorical question is this. 
Why did Jesus take the action to cleanse the temple? That's rhetorical. Here's the question that I want us to talk about. What can we learn from this event today? What can we learn from this event today? Nothing? Yes, Tony. Okay. There's a separation between between the clean and the unclean. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. This is designed to let you guys talk. I'm not going to talk on these. So then, so both times, however, the reasons are similar for Jesus taking the action of cleansing the temple. Reason number one, what those money changers was doing was a violation of the law. The Jews, they were selling animals and exchanging money in the court of the Gentiles. This desecrated the place where the Gentiles came to worship. As you notice on the board here, the, the temple had a series of courtyards. You had the innermost courtyard for the priest, then you ventured out and you got where the Jewish men came, then got a little bit farther where the Jewish women met, and then you got a little farther where the Gentiles met, those who had converted to Judaism or those who, uh, who were sympathetic to that religion. And what we find is that the money changers and herdsmen set up their tables right in that area, in that courtyard, in order to service the worshipers who bought animals. And in essence, this was ruining, if you will, the worship of the Gentiles, because that was the place where they were together. And when we think about this, this was a blatant, yes. There you go. Yes, yes. And to put it in another way, as the term is, you, you all are familiar with the term expedient. There are things which are expedient, and there are things which are not. And, 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 and you know, we all go to concerts. Every, every one of us in here have been to a concert. I've known some of us have traveled to go to a concert in Seattle to see whatever group that is. But that doesn't mean you bring it in here for worship service. There's a big difference. Uh, so, so, yeah, thank you for that. So then, um, so what Jesus doing, what Jesus did was he created a, a, a quite a stir. In, in other words, when he made this, the, the, the uh, whip of cords and when he drove all of them out, the money changers, the herders, even the animals. So he, he made a stir when he did that. This is done as a sign that the temple is meant to be pure. The temple is meant to be holy in every section. The second reason. The, the second reason. He, he also did this to establish the idea that the temple was as magnificent as it was. Okay. 
that one day it would be destroyed and a new temple that is his body, the church, would be established. The Messiah comes to his house and finds it unprepared for his arrival, for his son's arrival. You might say this is a type of, of all the parables to speak of the judgment to come. It is also a living prophecy for the Jews, if you will. Because when we look at the Jews' aspect of this, they're, they're, look, they're being told that the judgment is at hand. When we look at the Christian aspect, we're being told that Jesus can come at any time. But when you put them all together, even for us today, judgment is at hand, and Christ Jesus can come at any time. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. So during this explosive time, Christ Jesus also teaches and performs miracles and begins to draw more people unto him from the area of Jerusalem. Event number 24, a visit from Cornelius. We see this in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Now, it's natural. It's natural that... that the arrival of Christ Jesus at the temple, it's natural that his signs and his teachings would draw interest from a lot of people. It also, we find, it drew interest from the religious leaders. Now, at the temple, some of the leaders were questioning his right to do what he did, and they wondered, if you will, what he meant by the idea that his temple would be raised in three days if it was destroyed. They saw him as a troublemaker and they wanted to silence him. Going back to what we know about biblical study, when they couldn't silence someone, what was the next thing? When they couldn't silence someone, what was the next action? You kill them. You crucify him, you kill him. Whether you crucify him, hang him on a cross, or take him out and cut the head off, you kill him. You kill him. We'll get to, we'll get to a little bit more on that in a moment with John the Baptizer. Some, however, like Nicodemus, came in secretly to learn more. Nicodemus knew that Christ Jesus was special, and he wanted to learn more about him. He was slow to come to the faith, but he was interested in learning. And Jesus showed him that even he, a teacher and a scholar, required a new birth to enter into the kingdom, which tells us something about Christianity. It doesn't matter how smart you are or how uneducated you are. It doesn't matter if you're old or young, male or female, black or white, whatever. Christianity is for everyone, period. Nicodemus didn't understand at first, but later on, we see him trying to defend Christ Jesus before the Jewish leaders, who were, of course, accusing Christ Jesus unjustly. And finally, at Jesus' death, we know that he provided the spices so that he could be buried properly. Nicodemus was slow. He was cautious. But he eventually came around. In the times we've gone out to evangelize, have we come across such people that were a little bit cautious, maybe a little bit slow on making the move we wanted them to move, but they made the decision 
Have we come across that? Yes. No. <laughs> yes. Okay. Thank you. Event 25. Oops. I had another question. Let me go back. Good. It didn't switch. My next question. Actually, I've already answered that with the question I asked you just then, so we good. Okay, event number 25. Jesus returns to northern Judea. John 3, verses 22 through 23. So after his dynamic appearance, we find that Jesus travels back to Sumerian territory in the northern part of Judea to work with John the baptizer, who was there preaching and baptizing as well. So for a short period of time, what we find is the work of Christ Jesus and the work of John the Baptizer, they basically overlap one another. Now, on the map, okay, I can't make this little light work because I'm not familiar with this one, but if you look to the right side, you'll see an area called Anon, uh, A-E-N-O-N. It's right there near the Jordan River. You see the area Peltra, Pelta is right to the right up to the left of that up north there. So they were working in that area together. What we find is Jesus wasn't baptizing anyone himself, but his disciples were doing all the work of baptizing, and he was doing the work of preaching. And what we find is the message of both John and Christ Jesus was the same, and it was this, repent and be baptized, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we get to event 26, John's second witness, at John chapter 3, verses 24 through 36. So at the beginning, what we find this, is this happening. We find John sees Christ Jesus coming, and he identifies to everyone, this is the Messiah, this is the Savior. That's, that's what he does, because he knows this because he was there uh, when the Father and the Holy Spirit interacted with him. And so what John does is he encouraged his disciples, this is who you need to follow, not me. Now that they're working in northern Judea side by side, John's disciples notices something. He notices that Christ Jesus and his disciples are baptizing more people than John. So naturally, they ask the question. They ask the question, what's going on here? So John answers them by acknowledging that the purpose of his coming, the purpose of his ministry was to prepare the way for Christ Jesus' ministry, and that it is proper that Christ Jesus' ministry increase and his decrease. John knew and rejoiced that Jesus has arrived, and Jesus was doing what he was supposed to do, and John happily accepted this role. So at this point, he knew that he has succeeded in his mission because of what Christ Jesus was doing. But at the same time, we notice from our study, John is going to doubt. John is going to doubt. And I think any of us in that situation would have been doubting as well. But the question I have is this right here. Rhetorical. 
What, what was significant about John's response to his disciples? Rather, what was significant about John's response to his disciples concerned that Jesus was baptizing more people than John? That's rhetorical. Here's the question. What can we learn from John's response today? Go ahead. That's it, isn't it? That's exactly what it is. It's not about me. It's not about Anchorage Church of Christ. It's about us doing the business that we're supposed to be doing that comes with the Great Commission to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And we do, not, we do not have a little board that we put notches on for everyone we teach the gospel to, and they accept Christ because it's not about that. And, and I'll be, be honest with you, I heard people say, say that, brothers say it on more than one occasion, I baptize this many people. As if, you know, it's, you know, it's like, like to keep in count. I have baptized a lot of people. Ask me how many, I cannot tell you. I wasn't keeping count. Because it's not about me. And, and that's something we have to learn about Christianity. It's not about us in that regard. It's always about Christ Jesus. We're not preaching ourselves. We're preaching Christ Jesus. When we had um, We Care come up a while back, and we were, we were going out and knocking on doors, and, and people were identifying people that we can knock on their door and talk to them about Christ Jesus, some people had trouble letting go. We had a plan set up. The plan was there were some who were going to go knock on doors. There was others going to be doing the teaching. Once we knocked on the door and we started the teaching and the people started listening, the person who suggested or referred that person, they're supposed to step away and take their hands off. But we found some that wanted to keep running interference, if you will. The, the, the couple that was trying to work with the individuals to, to, to help them continue their walk of faith was being interfered with by the person that referred them because they were acting as if, okay, I, I made the referral, so let, let me get in there and do this and do this. We sometimes have to let go and get out of the way. If you ask Tony to go work with this person for you, let Tony work with that person. If you ask Russ to go work with this person, let Russ work with that person. But don't ask them to do it and then jump in the middle and run interference. That's not the way we, we do evangelism. We let, let, let's let the system work the way we have it set up to work. Um, so then. Number 27. John's imprisonment. We see it's in Luke chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. John was a preacher of judgment to come. The theme of his preaching was repent. And what we find is so much of his sermon had to do with sin, so much of his sermon had to do with disobedience of the people. He didn't talk about the church. He didn't talk about love of the brethren. He didn't talk about other issues. If you want to say what type of a preacher John was, I think we all heard, heard this before. He was a one-topic preacher. He was a one-topic preacher. And his preaching stepped on everybody's toes. He addressed the common man. 
and their sin. He addressed the Roman soldiers and their sin. He addressed the prostitutes and their sin, the businessmen and their sin. He addressed even the religious leaders and their sin. He didn't pull any punches. He got in trouble when he meddled, however, in the, in the affairs of Herod. Herod had stolen his brother's wife, divorced his own wife, married the woman he had stolen from his brother, who happened to be his niece. John publicly declared that this was against the law. John publicly declared that you need to repent. And this caused embarrassment to not only Herod, but also to the wife, Herodia. John continued accusations lessened their position. And because it was less in their position with the people, the people that they already didn't have a good standing with in the first place, that was a problem. So in order to silence him, in order to stop him from stirring up the bad publicity, they had him put in jail. And it goes back to what I said before. <laughs> when you have situations like that and you can't get the people to stop, the person to shut up and stop, okay, let's move, remove them. And if we don't think that's going to work, let's remove them permanently. So the first step was let's get him off the streets and get him in jail. So we get to number 27, 28. John's inquiry of Jesus. We see this at Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 19. Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through uh, 35. And we said earlier that, Christ, that John the Baptist knew exactly who Christ Jesus was. He was encouraging his disciples to follow him. But we see that he also came to a point where he started to doubt. He started to doubt. John the Baptist believed that the Messiah was preparing, that, that the Messiah he was preparing the way for would come and usher in a great period of judgment and prosperity for the Jews. And his, his view of the kingdom had been similar to other Jews as well. As a prophet, and like most prophets, he knew the order and general nature of things he prophesied about. Those things that would take place in the future, but not necessarily the time frame. First, he comes to prepare the way. Got that. Next, the Messiah has come with spirit and power. Okay, great. We got that. Then judgment comes to the people. Then appeared a blessing, the kingdom. But what time frame? That he didn't know. What he didn't know was how far apart these events would be in time. And he didn't know the exact nature of each of these events. He sees and recognizes the Messiah according to the signs God provided him in order to confirm that Christ Jesus was indeed the Messiah in order for him to preach these things. Then he witnesses the growth of his ministry and the number of people who began to follow him. See, he see all of this happening, but now he's arrested. He's put in prison. Hmm. No judgment. This evil king has thrown me in jail and no judgment. As a matter of fact, nothing in the big picture changes. When neither judgment nor a great order of things appears right away, he did what most people would do. He begins to doubt. He begins to doubt. He had the sequence right. 
but he had the time frame wrong. And just like the Thessalonians who assumed that, that Jesus was returning in their lifetime, and they too became distressed when he didn't, when it didn't happen. So at this point, just when he pulls his disciples together, and he says, I need you to go talk to him. I need you to go ask him a question, okay? He thinks that maybe he's made a mistake and that Jesus isn't the one since his concept of what Christ Jesus was supposed to do was not happening. It was not materializing. Now, there are many people that think just like him. If their lives don't work out the way that they think it should, they begin to question and doubt God. I shared something with you guys a while back of, of a television program I was watching where this lady's uh, sister was married to this Indian chief's son. The sister died. The chief had, son had the baby. And she decided she was going to go take the baby away from the Indians and everything is going to be okay. She did. The Indians didn't like it. They were chasing her down to do bodily harm to her. And her friend saved her. And she was explaining that to him. And she said... I didn't think my baby's, my sister's baby should be there with the Indians. So I prayed to God to let me go take him. And I went and took him and they didn't catch me in the camp. And the guy says, so let me get this right. You, did, you were doing something wrong. So you prayed to God and then you went and did it. And that was supposed to be okay. That's the way we think sometimes. So John sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one or do we seek another? Jesus replies that he was doing the things that scripture said he was going to do when he came to this earth. What was he doing? He was teaching. He was healing. He was raising the dead. Go tell John these things. These were the signs given to create faith in those who were seeking the Messiah. And John, he wanted John to know that he should trust in these and not his his own idea of how things should be. Then Jesus rebukes those who, reject, who rejected John because of his appearance and what happened to him. Event 29, John's death. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Mark four, uh, 6, 14 through 29, Luke 9, uh, 7 through 9. Three of the four writers records John's death at the hand of Herod. Herod had an interesting relationship with John. Very interesting, matter of fact. Herod, as we know, he was part Jew. And he was familiar with the Jewish religion and recognized John as a powerful preacher and a religious man, a righteous man, I should say. He was naturally drawn to John. He kept John in prison for a time, and we find that there were times he would even pull John out privately so he can have a a private sermon from him. But Herod was also a worldly man. He was a worldly man. He was a shrewd politician. He was a ruthless leader. And he was in great conflict, however. He didn't know what to do with John. But you know what? Good or bad, wives can help us out sometimes. Good or bad. This time it was bad. Herodias had the perfect idea of what to do with John. When she sensed this, that he didn't know what to do, she ultimately tricked him into executing John in order to shut him up. 
in order to shut him up. And when Jesus hears about John's death, what does he do? He leaves that area of Judea where he was working there with John, and he returned to Galilee, a safer place for the time being and where he needed to be. So that takes us to event number 30. The Samaritan woman, John 4, verses 4 through 42. We know that he was in Samaritan territory, baptizing with John. We know that John, while he was there, had been taken away. We know that John had been killed. Now, during this period, on his way home, he meets a Samaritan woman at a well and speaks to her. She was not only a Samaritan despised by the Jews, but because she had been divorced multiple times and because she was now living with her boyfriend, she wasn't even well-liked among the Samaritans. But Jesus reveals his true person to her by knowing her past and by showing her kindness in spite of all these things that he knew about her. His acceptance of her and his answers to her questions wins her over. And she, the outcast, gains the courage to tell her neighbors and friends about Jesus. What is the lesson for us today in this? What's the lesson for us today in this? Yes. To not doubt the word of God? Okay, all right, thank you. Anyone else? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Jesus knows you might as well turn to him in prayer and in everything. Yes. Sometimes the words you need to hear don't come from the person you expect to hear them from. That's true. And, and one other thing I want to throw in there if there's no one else. Yes. That's, that's it. You're not so far gone, Jesus can't save you, regardless of who you are. Regardless of who you are. I remember a guy a long time ago said that he knew some people who were alcoholics. And he said, I would not talk to them about the gospel until they stopped being alcoholics. That's a tall order. <laughs> that's a tall order. I mean, it's almost as if he was saying... Brother, well, I'm going to say Brother Lawrence, but Lawrence, Bob, Bob, when you stop sinning, then I'll talk to you about being a Christian. (laughs) In other words, I'm not going to be talking to you anytime soon. Because Christ Jesus came to this earth because of what? Sinners. (laughs) So how dare we say, I'm only going to talk to people who are not sinners and ask them to come to Christ. That makes no sense at all. 
and that's what we see here but the other part is this right here this lady didn't hesitate we must not hesitate either everybody's not going to listen we already talked about that everybody's not going to listen some are going to accept and some are going to reject but the ones who reject today might accept tomorrow from a, a different person saying something to them but we must speak we must evangelize Someone once said the best thing can happen is a person come out of the waters of baptism and drop dead. And I said, try that with your wife. Honey, we're going to baptize the kids tomorrow. And you want them to do what? Drop dead? I don't think so. I know we want to go to heaven. We want our children in heaven. But parents aren't in that mold. Let's just drop dead. Why can't you live as a Christian and we live, continue to worship together here and live together here for a while? Why do you have to drop dead the next day? And you think about that. How <laughs> you can't have, if that, is, if that is the case, nobody would be, we would have been wiped out as a human race, as a human beings a long time ago. <laughs> because eventually we were to run out of people. If you're going to look at it that way. But anyway. So then, so what happens next is this, uh, Christ Jesus, he, uh, we find out that because of this, he stays extra days in the area, delaying his return in order to teach and to preach the gospel to those people there. Event 31, public ministry in Galilee, uh, Matthew chapter 4. 4 verse 17 Mark 1 14 15 Luke 4 14 15 and John 4 43 through 45 and John 4 43 through 45 is kind of what we're going to be alluding to here so after he finishes in Samaria we find that the writers tell us that he returned to his home region and officially begins his public ministry there now before with the, with the calling of the disciples and the miracles at Cana, he was still acting privately in his ministry. Now he's making it more, because he was working with just family and friends, now he's making it more public. Once John has died, Jesus goes home and begins there to preach and to teach not only about the kingdom, but now he's also talking about his role in ushering the kingdom in. And at first, at first, they were happy to hear him because many had heard about him cleansing the temple in Jerusalem. So they wanted to come hear him preach in their hometown. So we get to number 32. Another miracle in Cana. John 6, verse 46 through 54. So Jesus returns. He returns there to Canaan. He's probably staying with the same family where uh, he went before, relatives when he went to the wedding. And while, they, while he's there, something interesting happened. An official comes to him. He's probably one of Herod's officials. He comes to Christ Jesus and he asks Christ Jesus to heal his son who is sick across the lake at his home in Capernaum. Jesus sends him home telling him his son is well 
And while on his way, the man learns that his son is indeed well. And he was healed at the point when Christ Jesus told him to go, to go home. This is the only, in this section here, this is the only miracle recorded during this period of, of the Galilean ministry. It is interesting to note that it is the first time that the writer associates faith in Christ Jesus with the miraculous healing. And then we see something else happen with this man. The man and his entire household became disciples after this incident. Question. Rhetorical. What was significant about the miracle at Cana, this particular one here, and what lessons can we learn from it? Yes. Okay. We're talking about the official. Okay, the official was one that, that didn't follow uh, the Jewish religion, but now he does. Matter of fact, he's following Christianity. What can we learn about faith from this? Huh? Yeah. He took it at his word. And that's what faith is about. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith. Yes. All right. So he just didn't sit back and go, "Woo, my son is alive. No, no, he got baptized and his family did with him. He showed the true aspects of his faith. And, and you know, we pray for a lot of people that, that are not in the body of Christ. And things happen well and they say thank you, but they still don't want anything to do with this. And then the next event happens in their life. They'll come, Danny, can you pray for me? And Danny will pray for him. And things will work out well. And they'll go, thank you. And keep going the other direction. But this man, <laughs> he's like, whoa. Okay. It was just like he said, I'm, I'm bringing my whole family, my own house, my whole household here. I'm evangelizing. Like we talked about this last week. It starts with yourself, then your family, and prog progresses out. So this is the end of this section. After this miracle and teaching in the area, Jesus will return to Jerusalem for the second Passover in this ministry. There were four of them in this ministry, during this ministry. So the events covered in this class, they took place over about a year, over a period of about a year. It wasn't like one day after the other and then it was over with. So there are two lessons that we can glean from this class. Lesson one, Jesus was not soft. 
Okay. Now, a lot of images of Jesus that solve all love and all tenderness, all kindness, all forgiving. All of these things are true. But his, his appearance in the temple showed also that he was a zealous Lord, that he hates sin, he hates unholiness, he hates worldliness, he hates hypocrisy. And we must not forget that when Christ Jesus returned, he would not do so as a suffering Savior. He would come back as Lord of Lords, coming to judge and punish the unfaithful and the wicked and reward those who have been true to him. Lesson two, Christians must be ready to pay the price. John the baptizer lived like a hermit. He preached an unpopular message. His job was to prepare the way for the glory of another, not himself. He died a martyr for his faith. We all pay a certain price to follow Christ Jesus, and it's different for each one of us. However, however, when we go into the waters of baptism to bury the old man of sin and, and die with Christ Jesus, what we must realize is that we are giving up control of our own lives, our own physical lives. God may permit us to have it for a while, or he may just require us to give it up to Christ in a day. When you become a Christian, you're either going to give your life to God or not. So, in this way, it may be one day at a time, and when I say one day at a time, I'm talking about in service, in worship, in giving, in suffering. Or it can be all at once. It can be required of us. Either way, once we become children of God, our life belongs to him and he will require it of us somehow. Whether it's one day at a time or all at once. What we need to be is like John. Whether it's one day at a time or all at once. We need to be like John. He was happy. He was joyful that he must decrease in order that Christ Jesus would increase. That's the mindset. Thank you all for joining me today. Thank you for participating in the questions. Uh, the reading list for next week will be out on the four-year, probably in about 10 minutes. Thank you all again.